Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly. And this one, as you might expect, is all about buzz. We're bringing on GBH Hoops writer Melvin Francioni to talk about everything Buzz Williams. This is a fun one, y'all. It's basically 30 to 40 minutes of straight optimism. Let's roll. Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly, and it has finally happened. The Aggies have hired their new head coach. I bring in my good friend David now. David, it's a good day, man. It's a good day, Tater. We have Buzz Williams in the house, and it's the sort of thing, Blake, that as an Aggie basketball fan, you could be forgiven for wondering if this sort of day would ever happen, right? And what I'm referring to is a big-time hire of a Power 5 coach using the type of commitment and money that we typically reserve for football, right? It It's the sort of thing that... Some Maggie Hoops fans, myself included, we had just made our peace with the fact that we might never see that. So uh, this is huge, man. This is everything. I'm I'm about I'm as excited as I could possibly be, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. This really represents an evolution in the program and, and taking it to the next level from a commitment perspective. It was one thing when when we improved our facilities. Hey, facilities are our our capital investment, right? You you can pay those out over the long term. And, and there's a certain carryover value that goes from year to year that comes with the facilities investment. But investing in a coach and, and one that's proven with with a winning track record, I mean, this is this is a substantial leap forward for Aggie basketball. And it's not just that we were willing to pull the trigger. I don't want to step on our future conversation here too much, but we were not the only people looking, right? So there's it's 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 a success on two levels that we were willing to do it. And that our job was the job that was chosen. So we'll unpack that here in the next half hour. But it's a big, big day for Aggie basketball. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and the flip side of that is this is a guy that a lot of people, a lot of fans of, of Aggie basketball have been pining over for a long time. Both of us included, right? We both felt like Buzz Williams was a great candidate many years ago when Billy Kennedy was hired. Throughout the duration of the Kennedy era, multiple times, the name Buzz Williams continued to come up. Hey, why, why, why don't we go get Buzz? Don't we think he can, he can deliver better than what we're seeing now? And, and so for this administration and this athletic department to make that commitment to go get the guy the fans wanted, I, I think it's a, it's a huge step forward from that, that administrative side but also, you know, it's it's a huge commitment, right? It's a big financial commitment. It's a long-term deal. It's showing that you're you're investing in making this program a winner. And let's talk about that because the finances were recently released and he'll be on the books for 6 years at 3.8 million per year with a $100,000 escalator over the life. So I guess that takes the form of 3.839441423 coming down the back end. Uh, a salary that places him squarely in the top 15 of of the per-year salary uh, for, for college coaches across the nation. So, Blake, at a high level, what do you think he needs to do to justify that salary? I think that he needs to win at a moderate level. He is going to be given a bit of a grace period based on what we saw this year. I don't think that there's going to be an immediate expectation that he has to get this thing to some type of postseason play next year. Most fans are, are cognizant of, of where this program is and that this hire wouldn't be necessary if the program was winning. So I think he's got a few years. He, he needs to win, but I, I don't think that he has to get us to a, an Elite Eight Final Four 
situation within this first six-year window, right? I, I don't think we're going to demand that of him because I think there's this realization of how difficult this is. And I go back to the interview that we did with the writer from Gonzaga earlier this year, and he talked about how Gonzaga has had 20 years of sustained basketball excellence. And it was only a few years ago that they finally made their first Final Four, right? And at that point, it was this realization amongst the fan base that Mark Few, a guy who has who has done pretty much anything you could possibly do for a mid-major basketball program, there was always kind of this, this slight sense of disenchantment uh, were they ever going to be able to get over the hump? Were they ever going to be able to make it? Getting to that level is tough. And these guys have lived at the pinnacle of, of mid-major basketball and, and developed their program into a national contender on an annual basis. And they finally got to this realization that this isn't easy. It's it's not a given. Look at Duke this year, right? Everyone took it for granted that Duke was going to make the Final Four with one of the greatest classes in college basketball history, and they're sitting home right now, right? College basketball is a fickle sport. The tournament is what it is because this is not an easy thing to do, right? It's it's tough to win in that environment. You got to have a certain combination of depth and luck and talent, and I mean, there's there's so many things that go into that. So to that extent, I guess my, my point that I'm making is, I don't know that Buzz has to be taking Aggie basketball in the next six years to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. I think that he he needs to build momentum. That's the biggest thing. If he can show progression, get the fan base excited about the program. That's the biggest issue, right? Is for the last, let's call it the last six years, there hasn't been a lot of excitement around the program. That was one of the things that made Billy Gillespie incredibly successful is it was the fact that he sold the program. He brought the excitement. AM basketball developed an identity. More than anything, we want an identity. Whatever whatever that identity is, if it's a hard-nosed defensive team, if it's a run and gun, if it's a scrappy do anything it takes to win, whatever that identity is, we just want to see that there that there is an identity and we're not wandering aimlessly in the desert for the next 40 years. I think that's the biggest thing that, that it's going to take for Buzz to be successful here is to show progression, show development of the program, and build enthusiasm in the fan base. And I tend to agree that I agree mostly. I, I, I think I, I might place a little less emphasis on the tournament than you do. Uh, I do sometimes think that the, uh, the, the tournament is... Obviously, it's the most important part of the season, but it isn't always a good reflection on the type of year you've had. Uh, there's an argument to be made that a quality regular season where you're a top two, top three SEC seed, where you get bounced or upset in the second round is still better for your program than kind of squeaking in and making your magical run. Um, so for me, what, I w- what I'm going to look for, I'm going to call it the double buy. I would like, not every year, but fairly often, I want to be in that double buy situation because that means, among other things, we're a top four SEC team. We're comfortably in the NCAA tournament, and we've been in or around the rankings all year. I think if we can keep that, that's kind of the thing I'd like to focus on. And if we accomplish that on a regular basis, he's worth the top 15 money, even if the tournament results aren't there. So for me, actually, given the choice, I would rather have a sustained run of seasons like that than to have a one-off Elite Eight, for example. 
But yeah, it's it's a fair. I think I think both criteria are fair, and ultimately both are asking for the same amount of success, even if they're asking for it kind of in different parts of the season. Right, and and the reason that I lean towards the tournament as an indicator of success is not so much as I, I me personally, I tend to fall in the same bucket as you. I want to have better performance in the SEC in conference play because that's a that's a a better indicator of the health of your program, right? Because it's it's a more complete test. However, the reason why I point to the tournament is because the tournament is all about visibility. It's all mm-hmm. about the fair weather fan. It's all about the people who don't follow the program religiously and and aren't they they don't even get in until you get to conference play. And and some of them don't even really get in until you make the NCAA tournament, right? That's where you have to build that enthusiasm, and that's where those in attendance numbers come up, is by getting those people hooked and realizing that Aggie basketball is a force and turning those games into an event. And I think that you have to get to that level of being in the NCAAs in order to turn those games into an event. That's why I place that that emphasis there, because we are a football-first school, and you're going to have to have something drastic in order to get those who aren't normally invested in the basketball program brought on board and and committed in a way that they're attending games regularly. All right, so let's expand on that excitement. Let's bring in our GBH ghost basketball writer. This guy's helped us off and on for years with our basketball content. Goes by the GBH stage name Melvin Francioni, which is a a callback to a time long ago. Uh, We certainly could not be further from those coaching hires than we are right now. Let's talk to our friend Melvin about what the next 12 months might look like under the helm of Buzz Williams. Joining us now, we have a very special guest, uh, perhaps my favorite GBH stage name among the cascade of rotating basketball writers that we've had. We have Melvin Francioni joining us on the line today. Melvin, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I'll, I, I use the name. I like to remind everybody that, you know, no matter how bad a situation gets, it, it can always get worse uh, when you had both Melvin and, and Fran on campus at the same time. So uh, I like to keep people humble. And I guess I'll open with that. So obviously that, that name must be a reference to your time on campus. I assume you were on campus when Literally the worst of both programs was happening simultaneously. <laughs> Take me through your mindset to compare that part of Aggie football and Aggie basketball history with where we stand as we sit here in the year of our Lord 2019 with Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams on campus. Yeah, it, it's funny because at the time, I, so oh, my, my freshman year was Fran's first year. And so it's easy in retrospect that we all should have known it was never going to get better. But at the time... It was sort of like, a oh, this is what you expect with the first-year coach. So it really wasn't as depressing as getting beat 77 to nothing should be, uh, which is kind of hard to believe now. But then the flip side of that is you go to basketball season, and we're returning uh, an all-Big 12 freshman in Antoine Wright. You, you've still got some uh, you know, some decent pieces there, a top uh, 50 recruit on Lakeith Blanks, and you know everyone's excited about the basketball season. I finally convinced a few friends of mine that, like, hey, we're not as bad as people think. Like, y'all should go. And I managed to get about five or six of my friends to come to a game, and we lose to AM Corpus. 
And oh no! It was season, that game. It was a brutal the game. Season just didn't get better. It it didn't get better from there. I guess the the obvious comparator. We'll start we'll start with the rough stuff before we move to the fun and the optimism. What similarities did you see between that roster construction and kind of the hope that you could find if you looked hard enough that you talked about back in '03? What similarities did you see between that roster and that season and and what we kind of just went through over the last twelve months? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's so different because. Back then, it was all hope, right? I mean, I mean, you had Antoine Wright, who had the potential to be a really good player, but Melvin just never showed any inclination that he was going to get over the hump. It, it, you know, so I, I think his peak year was a year they almost made the NIT. So it's been interesting these last twelve months because there are obviously good pieces on this team. We've seen them. We know that Savion Flag is a good player. We know that TJ Starks is a streaky player, but a potentially good player. You know, Josh Nebo is a guy that a lot of people would love to have on their team. So at times it was frustrating this year watching this team be worse. And this was kind of the whole problem with the whole Kennedy era, right? Is that we we, we shouldn't have been very good, but we should have been better than we were. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the whole problem. I think you're right. It always felt like the Kennedy era was marked by underachievement. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we never... Everything was and this is kind of the excuse making was the same thing, right? Like it's a lot of what people call excuses were actually good reasons, but they weren't reasons to be as bad as we were. Like it was a good reason that it should knock a tournament team to the NIT, but it shouldn't knock a tournament team to, you know, barely 500 on the season and things like that. And I think what stuck with me was the 0-10 mark against the top half of the SEC. And in many of those games, I mean, I know we had flashes of, we had, for example, a good first half against Florida, a good first half against Kentucky. We had flashes against the top half of the SEC. But for the most part, we just clearly looked to cut below. And that that was the part that I struggled to deal with this season, was that oftentimes whenever we played somebody in and around the top 25, it felt like our opposition was just playing a different brand of basketball. Yeah, I mean, they were, right? I, I, I actually go the other way. To me, the more frustrating were games that we would play against teams that we were more talented than and we would look horrible. I mean, it's one thing to look horrible against a really good team. But I mean, the and it's one of the things that I guess he was lucky because it happened over the holiday break and not a lot of people saw it. But the Texas Southern game was one of the worst basketball games I've ever seen Texas A&M play. Yeah. Uh, and the Missouri game wasn't any better. So the timing there, you make a really good point. And I'm honestly, in a way, I was almost, this is this is going to sound terrible. I'll preface this. I was almost pleased that the fans reacted the way that they did, that the, that the attendance dipped so sharply because a message had to be sent that those type of performances were unacceptable. By the end of the year, guys, we had six different 15-plus point losses at home. Yeah. I mean, I, I made this point earlier in an article where if you take – the SEC play in Kansas State, and you kind of put that and add, you can toss Texas Southern in there. And if you drew from a hat from those 11 games, there was a greater than 50% chance you were going to see us get our ass kicked. And <laughs> a bit, over time, you know, there's only one way that, that the fan support can go. But where I was going with this was the timing was terrible for those two SEC home losses because the home game against Arkansas, usually the way the SEC schedule works out, that first home game lands before the students are really back and in their groove, right? And that's the way it went this year. I think it was like a January 3rd home game or something. Mm -hmm. But our first two chances to actually engage the student body were those two games against Auburn and Missouri where, I mean, those were the two worst SEC games of the season in my opinion. So, yeah, it really was. It was was rough. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Missouri game might have been the worst conference game uh, I've seen us play in a long time. You know, since that Melvin year where the team didn't look like they wanted to compete. The fans didn't really want to be there. It was just, uh, you know, it was just bad all around. Yeah, it was bad all the way around. But the, one of the things that I think is interesting about this schedule that we had this year, I came into this season thinking, oh, this non-conference looks kind of ho-hum, whatever. You got Washington, you got Minnesota, big deal. Hey, Gonzaga's a good get, but past that, I didn't really see a lot. And I was actually really pleasantly surprised come tournament time. You have five teams in non-conference play that A&M faced that made the tournament. That Those five being Gonzaga, UC Irvine, Minnesota, Washington, and K-State. So what we originally thought was kind of a a mediocre non-conference schedule compared to what we saw last year where you had West Virginia and Penn State and, I mean, some big names. This year, you kind of, you, you didn't feel really overwhelmed by by that non-conference slate, but it actually turned out to be a pretty solid test and, and the Aggies looked decent against most of those teams. Yeah, and I think you actually bring up an interesting point too, uh, or maybe a good segue to what we're going to talk about next because the, the best thing about that Gonzaga game is that they come to Reed Arena this year. And this should be the best non-conference home game that we've probably ever had. Um, not including the Big 12, SEC, or, or things like that that we have to play in. Mm-hmm. But a team that actually agreed to play us in a home-and-home. Home. Uh, this is going to give buzz, depending on when that game is, maybe a potential opportunity to, to really get some fans bought in early uh, in the season. I think so, and and kudos to the AD right for pulling that off because I can't tell you how many times and how frustrating it is. Even though I'm a Houston resident, it's frustrating whenever we punt our half of a home and home against a quality team to to the Toyota Center. Uh, and you know, it's even though even even if the other side, like Arizona, for example, they'll play it in Tucson or they'll you know they'll also play it a hundred miles away. But that's just it's not the same to go watch us with the giant rocket logo at midcourt, right? So you know, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped that we got it at Reed Arena because. Uh, that's that's a tough team to get, but I think I think what we're seeing here is Gonzaga really struggles to get Power Five teams to come to their place. So I think that this is this is their way of saying thank you. Of you know you come out to Washington, you know we'll we'll come to your campus. Do we yeah. have any idea uh, when, how early that game's going to be? Do we have any inclination at all? No, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure knowing our luck, it's going to be the Saturday before Christmas. But but <laughs> the the good thing about that is that or I guess one of the bad things is we don't play a late home football game which is kind of annoying but our last two football games are both away so you're not going to have that opportunity for a friday saturday you know really kind of kick the season off kind of game so my guess is it'll probably be early december um which is not ideal but we did have a decent crowd uh i think there was 2015 2016 we hosted baylor uh at home in december and quite a few people came in for that game so hopefully with the buzz excitement if we can put a couple good performances on the court uh, maybe we get a decent crowd in uh, before the new year, which would be a quite a change for a and basketball. So let's keep this thread going. Let's enough of enough of the discussion of the twelve months past. Let's talk about the twelve months <laughs> coming up. Uh, obviously, the three of us are freaking thrilled that we pulled this off, but we do have some questions to answer in terms of roster construction. So, in terms of roster construction for next year, as of now, we have seven guys on the books, or I'll, I'll call them seven contributors on the books in the backcourt. Uh, Mitchell, Starks, Chandler, and Mahan, and then on the front court, Nebo, Flag, and Walker. That's a s- solid enough returning core. Obviously, it, it needs some some help around the edges. 
but we did lose all four, or rather we granted a release to all four of our existing commits. So we technically have nobody on the books right now. But releases are a, two, a two-way street. And uh, top 100 guard Anthony Harris just, really, uh, just received a release from his LOI to Tech. There's talks that another four-star forward, Emmanuel Miller, he hasn't formally released, but he's kind of in the rumor mill is pretty tepid until he figures out what's going on at VT. And then the Holy Grail, which would be getting Kerry Blackshear as a grad transfer. These things are all kind of happening simultaneously. So where do you see the roster headed? Because there's really a handful of different directions Buzz could go with this thing. Yeah, I, mean, I think the the big question is who's available in the grad transfer market because because those are guys that can contribute right away, um, especially you know freshmen if they're not in that top ten fifteen are are kind of a dice roll. So you know sometimes you get one that's a lot better than people expect is really ready to contribute right away, uh, like you know Gilder and Davis and, and Hogue when those guys were freshmen were were contributors but not stars. But then you have guys that that aren't as good as you hope they'll be. And certainly we've seen plenty of those uh, around here, especially at the point guard position. So I think what you really need is you need one big guy uh, somewhere that can just take up minutes. Uh, Josh Nebo is really good, but he can't play 40 minutes a game. Uh, So you need something there. Uh, But then the question is, is, can you refill? Does Buzz want the recruits that we had? You know, nowadays, kind of releasing all the recruits is more or less just a, a thing everybody does. And mm-hmm. then it's up to the new coach to kind of re-recruit them. So so does he want those guys? If not, where does he turn? And I think that's the big question is can we just put enough bodies <laughs> together on a roster to have the depth to compete next year? Because like you said, we have a great core of players. I mean, there, there's hardly any first-year coaches anywhere that are going to take over a group that it's as good as Starks and Flag and Nevo, um, especially those three. And then you get Chandler and um, you know Mitchell. Uh, I meant to include Mitchell in that group too. Um, you know that that's a pretty good group of players. And then you have this big wild card out there of is Admon Gilder thinking about coming back? Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing we don't know. But I will say it was encouraging a little bit to see him with the team at the welcome event. Um, so I, you know, we don't know that's a big wild card, but if he comes back, that really changes things. All right. So let's talk about for those who are, who are not familiar with buzz either because they were not here during or did not follow the program during the Gillespie years when, when buzz Williams was an assistant or have not followed his time at new Orleans and Marquette and subsequently Virginia tech. Let's talk a little bit about what we can expect to see from a buzz Williams team. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's a bit the good question. Right. And, and his teams have done a lot of different things, which I, I think is is probably something that we need at a school like Texas A&M, because we're not going to be able to recruit well enough to get the guys we want every single year, like a Kentucky or a Duke or a school like that. So so we can't just you know commit what you've seen from from Buzz is he's had teams that played fast. Uh, his best one of his best teams at Marquette. Uh, was a top 20 tempo team uh, in 2012. But he's also played very, very slow. Uh, pro- arguably his very best team, this year's Virginia Tech team, is a extremely slow tempo team. So I, I don't think that there is one thing that his teams do. Some of them have shot a lot of threes. Some of them haven't shot a lot of threes. Um, some of them, you know, like I said, really really are up, up and down the court. Some of them aren't, aren't like that. 
the only consistent is that his offense is usually better than his defense is about the only thing that you could really say is a solid trend for Buzz Williams coach teams. That's extraordinarily encouraging, honestly, because this this latest year, the the way we tried to square peg the round hole of of our guard laden lineup, and we just assumed that a three point shooting barrage would work. Uh, this sounds like the antithesis of that, right? Where instead of just looking at a like instead of just trying to force your idea into a situation where it may not work, it sounds like he's more malleable and more willing to work with his pieces. Which, yeah, as you said, that's that's critical. That's extraordinarily important. So. That is uh, that is really really encouraging in terms of personality and press conferences and his general fan engagement. There's a lot of people who seem really excited about the type of guy he is off the court. Personally, I think that's something that, I mean, say what you will about Billy Kennedy, uh, that Blake and I defended him more than most. Even kind of coming down the stretch, we were more likely to, to defend his highs than some others. But there was no denying that. The guy just wasn't really that interesting on, on the mic, if you will. So what can we expect from Buzz off the court, in your opinion? He's very brand conscious of, of <laughs> okay. himself. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, there, this is not an accident that he had his, you know, graphics package on Twitter ready to go when he officially switched over. Um, you know, he already had his hashtag in maroon and white and the photos and everything ready to go. Uh, that's something he thinks a lot about. And, and you can tell he thinks a lot about how he wants to answer questions in press conferences um, and things like that. So he's very, very conscious of, of, of how he comes across. But that doesn't mean it's not genuine. And I think that's the thing that is really interesting about him is he says things that a lot of people would say are, are corny or, um, you know, go watch the video of, of him explaining the importance of the national anthem to his team at Virginia Tech. And you're going to get people that's, that say that that kind of stuff is, you know, corny or is just doing it to, you know, for the likes and things like that. But he seems to truly, truly believe it. Um, and so I think that's going to play really well with our fans. I think the fact that he is willing to be more involved off the court, um, you know, he's done a bunch of great things with uh, children with disabilities and things like that. He, he has endowed scholarships at both Marquette and Virginia Tech uh, for students with disabilities and things like that. So he, he does a lot of work off the court as well. Uh, and I think those are the kind of things that AM fans really buy into. They, they want a coach that is like they are. Uh, and one thing I think that AM is all about, things like the big event and some of our traditions and things like that, is Aggies don't like so much people that talk about it. They like people that do it. And Billy Kennedy did a lot of talking about it. Um, but Buzz does a lot of doing it. Now, he will film himself doing it, and he'll upload it to YouTube, and everyone gets to see it. But that doesn't mean it's not genuine, and I think that's an interesting part of, of who he is. I think so, too. And another thing I've noted uh, is the Virginia Tech – I guess I'll call it the the commentary from the Virginia Tech uh, fan base on some of the things that Aggie basketball has posted. Uh, and you sometimes might expect that the spurned fan base, if you will, would kind of cross that picket line and and say, like, oh, like, good luck, like, enjoy this guy. You know, just kind of that kind of vitriol you would expect. I've I would call it maybe like 80, 20 people just saying, like, Good luck, Buzz. Like you were a class act. You represented this great. I mean, so, stuff like that. I think really lands with our fan base. I don't know if you guys have seen the same thing, but I felt like any time a Virginia Tech fan kind of bleeds into an article or anything on Twitter about this hire, I feel like it's been pretty positive. Yeah, which is weird, right? I mean, that's the thing that I can't get over is imagining 
losing a basketball coach that's made the Elite Eight, that's that's made the Sweet 16, that's been to three straight tournaments, and losing them to us, you know, like to, to Texas A&M. It, it's one thing to lose a coach to Maryland or Kentucky, but to lose a coach to Texas A&M, and they're taking it really well. I, and, I, <laughs> and I think part of that is because of how much he talks about family and wanting to coach with love, which you've heard a lot the last 48 hours. Um, and I, I think all of that leads to when he made a move to come home, which has been his big thing. He said that in a lot of his different interviews. I think the Virginia Tech fans can understand that. Um, and so that's what I mean by it being very brand conscious, but also very, but very genuine too, in that they, he talks about that so much, the importance of family and stuff like that, that they almost are very accepting of that, like, oh, he's doing this because he wanted to go home. He wanted to go back to Texas. They don't look at it like he left us for an almost equally bad basketball job historically. <laughs> um, and I think that speaks to the genuineness of it, that, that, that they really um, bought into that at Virginia Tech. So I think that the other thing there is that there is certain a certain amount of kindred spirits between Texas A&M and Virginia Tech. There, there's two schools that have very similar histories uh, in, in the former military aspects. Uh, the fact that it's more of a land-grant engineering school with the other state flagship university and always kind of having that a little bit of that inferiority complex. I think that there's a kind of a, a similar bond between A&M and Virginia Tech that, you know, they understand kind of the position that we're in and they understand, you know, kind of the environment and know that he is, he's, he's leaving a, a, a really good institution for a place that's very similar. Yeah. I think there's some of that too. I think that I've also been fascinated with is the reactions from other schools. Um, you know, I follow a lot of folks on Twitter, just different schools around the SEC and a fan base that is almost, beside themselves with everything that's happened is Arkansas in the sense that they have always viewed their job as being so good. And for us to just pluck a coach that a lot of them thought they had a chance at has really been a reality check for that fan base, which has been interesting too. So, you know, that's one thing that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. And I think even our own fans, because of the familiarity with Buzz Williams are having a hard time of realizing just how good of a coach he's been. Um, I, I put this on, on Twitter, uh, I think, to David. On, on It was one of y'all's uh, accounts the other day that a lot of people don't realize Buzz Williams only has three fewer NCAA tournament wins than we do as a program. Yeah, And uh, I, I think that things like that are almost – because of the coming home, the the folksiness that he has a little bit of, like Gillespie did and stuff like that, I think people are almost forgetting how good of a basketball coach this guy is. Up and down the GBH comments section, kind of in the buildup to us potentially hiring him, we had plenty of our typical readers saying, like, well, so why is he coming here again? You know, like people didn't really understand. And so it was uh, – yeah, so it, it is. It, it's a tough one to to kind of explain away to the, to the casual fan. Uh, and so maybe it is. Maybe it's just one of those things that's a – the perfect, the perfect combination of circumstance and timing. You know, I, I personally, I'm not going to get too comfortable with this quality of hire. I don't think this is the bar for future basketball hires moving forward. Um, I think we just kind of struck gold and we kind of found the right guy at the right time in his career. And it was somebody who, who wanted to be at Texas A&M. Uh, yeah. leads me to my next question though. Uh, do you think this is his 
final destination, or do you think the the brand of Buzz could potentially uh, move elsewhere if he's uh, really successful in the next few years? Yeah, it's hard to say, right? And that's what I was going to kind of add on to that. It, it's funny how people, for you know, it's it's through the, the fog of history, people forget how much timing has to do with with these big decisions. You know, last time when we were hiring Billy Kennedy, we wanted to hire Buzz Williams, but he had a, some kind of crazy buyout from Marquette that we weren't going to pay at the time. And then the next year, the Big East gets torn apart. Um, Marquette is in a bad way, and Buzz ends up moving to Virginia Tech for something that we could have very easily have paid him if that would have been the same price the year before. And so we, we almost were close to getting him back then. And instead we have Billy Kennedy for eight years. Mm-hmm. And it's funny now that Texas is almost in a similar spot where I don't know, and it will probably never know, but if Buzz, if you had the blind offer from A&M and Texas, would Buzz choose Texas is, is hard to, to know. And we'll never know, but I'm just, I'm to be, I'm the answer to your question is, I'm glad that we didn't have to find out, you know, Texas is locked into this crazy contract with Shaka smart for like $13 million if they tried to fire him this year and couldn't. So because Texas can't hire a coach this year, you're looking at who would probably be their, their two biggest guys, which would be Buzz Williams with his Texas ties. Now he's going to have a crazy contract here that they're probably not going to be able to, to buy him out of, even if they wanted to. And their other guy, Chris Beard is probably going to resign at Texas tech for a lot more money too. So it's weird how timing kind of plays with that. And so I think it'll depend how good do we get and then what jobs come open because there are the jobs out there that basically no one will say no to. If Kansas comes open, if Kentucky comes open, uh, these kind of jobs and, and how good are we? So I I think it's hard to know, but I do like our chances because one thing we've shown, especially recently is if you win, we'll give you what you want. Um, you know, you got a whole new football stadium. Uh, we, we pay our football coaching staff an insane amount of money. Um, I guess not insane cause we, we make a lot of money, but, but, hmm. but in the sense that we've shown that we'll support a winner. And so I, I think we do have a chance to keep around here for a while. Last thing for me is really just kind of an open question to comment on the enthusiasm we're seeing from what I will call the, the casual fan. Obviously the three of us are pretty entrenched in this A&M basketball community, but it was a community that was, quite honestly, it was kind of fractured over the last year, right? Just it, There was really not many moments in the last 12 months where the A&M basketball community was kind of moving lockstep in the same direction. Obviously, we're all in the same, moving in the same direction now as of you know 72 hours ago. But I've been seeing a lot of people who are just kind of like willing to chime in and willing to think about basketball again. So how quickly do you think we could maybe turn this fan support around? It could be next year if we win, right? I mean, that's the the thing. I, I think you need a, a you need a combination of a couple things to get the fans behind basketball. Um, you need to play good teams, which was a, a problem for a while. Um, you need to play an exciting brand of basketball, and um, you need to win big when the fans are there. And I think that's maybe where it actually got Turgeon off the rails. Is it seemed like twice a year we'd play a top ten opponent, everybody would show up in Pack Reed Arena, and we'd get killed. Yeah. Um, and so it it didn't it never really caught on the way it did with Gillespie, where with Gillespie you packed it and we would win. The team seemed to rise to those big games. Uh, and I think that's where the key is going to be this year. Can we compete this year? I don't think anyone is going to expect us to even make the tournament, but are we competitive 
do we, you know, a big problem I had with Kennedy is two or three times a year we would show up and like you said earlier, just get our ass kicked. And sometimes it was by teams that weren't even any good. And so I think that really stuck with people. But if people know that they're going to show up and the team is going to put leave it on the court, I think we'll – he could be next year. I really think we're going to see a big jump in season tickets. Um, I think we're going to see a big jump in average attendance just with his on, – on basically the strength of his personality. And I, I think it could happen as quickly as next year. So I guess here's the last topic that I want to cover. A couple days ago after the hire was announced, I, I saw a back and forth between a few Aggies and one of the, the A&M beat writers – and the the concept of the of the discussion was, what does it take for Buzz Williams to be successful? How do we define success for Buzz Williams? Are are Aggie fans going to be satisfied with, let's say, three three tournament appearances in the first six years, and one of those being a Sweet Sixteen? Is that enough success for a coach? of the caliber that we just hired. I don't, I think that's too simple of a breakdown because I, I think it, it depends on a, on a couple things. I, the key to success at A&M is do we feel like the future is better than where we've been? And I think that was probably the big problem with Kennedy is he had those, those peak, those two years, the peak years, but there was never a feeling that we were ever going to be any better than that. You know, that team in 2016 was as talented of a team as we have ever put on the court. And we got wiped off the map in the Sweet 16 uh, by Oklahoma. So, you know, is that as good in a, in a down year for the SEC? There was not a single other ranked team in the conference that year. Was that as good as we're ever going to be? So I think that's what kind of hurts you there. But in a competitive league, if we're if we're battling, if we're close, um, depending on, you know, how the wins and losses go – and then are we a sweet 16 because are because we were a nine seed and we got lucky, we upset somebody and things like that, or were we a one seed that, you know, got knocked out and things like that? I, I think that that it's gonna be dependent on are we getting better? Um, and do we play hard every night? And I think that's gonna be the bigger key, more so than just coming down to making the tournament or not making the tournament. I do think as long as you make the tournament more often than not, our fans are, are going to be happy to some extent. Now, there's going to be that small portion that are never happy, really. But but even Turgeon, who, like we said, I, I think, again, through the fog of history, people remember the Turgeon years as being way better than they really were to live through. Um, the Turgeon years were a grind at times because it felt like we could never quite get over that hump. But the idea of firing Turgeon never came up. So I, I think that that's something that, you know, there's the what are we OK with versus what's going to get us fired up kind of issue. Well, Melvin, th- thank you again for joining us. And it it really does boggle the mind to refer to someone as Melvin Francione in the current era we're sitting in. <laughs> it's something that I really I can't reconcile, to be quite honest with you. But keep the tag. Keep us <laughs> humble. And we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Well, when we win the national championship, then maybe I'll become like Jim Buzz or something like that. But we got we to gotta bring a ship home first, and then I'll officially retire the name. I would love for that to happen. <laughs> Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs>